listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to share about today's reading, your thoughts and insights, I invite you to head over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and there you'll be able to share with other listeners and followers. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example and holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 203, and we are reading from chapter 19 of volume 3, book 5, paragraphs 209 to 215. Chapter 19. Christ our Lord begins to prepare for his public preaching by announcing to some the presence of the Redeemer into the world. His Most Holy Mother assists him therein, and the powers of hell begin to get uneasy. 209. The fire of divine charity burned in the bosom of our Redeemer and Master, as in a closed furnace, until the opportune time destined for its manifestation. For in due time he was to lay bare the burning love of his bosom by means of his public preaching and miracles, and at last even to break the vase of his humanity in order to pour forth his charity. Although it is true, as Solomon says, that fire cannot be concealed in the bosom without burning the vestments, Proverbs 6.27, and although the Lord always manifested his love, sending forth from him its sparks and flames in all his doings since the moment of his incarnation, yet in comparison to what he was to accomplish in his chosen time, and in comparison to the conflagration of his interior love, we may say that the flames of his love had until then remained covered and enclosed. The Lord had now reached perfect adolescence, attaining his 27th year. According to our way of speaking, it seemed as if he could not any more restrain the impetus of his love and of his desire to fulfill the will of the Eternal Father in accomplishing the salvation of men. He was filled with sorrowing love, prayed and fasted much, and began to mingle with the people and communicate with mortals. Many times he passed the nights in prayer on the mountains and began to absent himself two or three days from the house and from his most holy mother. 2.10 The most prudent lady, by these absences and excursions of her son, foresaw the approach of his labors and sufferings. She already felt the sword, prepared for her devout and affectionate love, piercing her heart and soul, and was entirely consumed in most tender acts of love for her beloved. During these absences of her son, her heavenly courtiers and vassals, the holy angels, attended upon her in visible forms, 
And the great lady spoke to them of her sorrows and sent them as messengers to her son and lord in order that they might bring her news of his occupations and exercises. The holy angels obeyed their queen and by their frequent messages she was enabled in her retirement to follow the highest king, Christ, in all his prayers, supplications, and exercises. Whenever the Lord returned, she received him prostrate upon the ground, adoring him and thanking him for the blessings which he had gained for the sinners. She served him as a loving mother and sought to procure for him the poor refreshment of which she knew he stood in need as a true man subject to suffering. For often it happened that he had passed two or three days without rest or food or sleep. As already described, the Most Blessed Mother was well aware of the labors and cares weighing down the soul of the Redeemer. The Lord always informed her of them and of his new undertakings, of the hidden blessings communicated to many souls by new light concerning the divinity and concerning the redemption. 2.11 Full of this knowledge, the great queen was wont to say to her most holy son, My Lord, highest and true happiness of souls, I see, light of my eyes, that thy most ardent love for men will not rest or be appeased until it has secured eternal salvation for them. This is the proper occupation of thy charity and the work assigned to thee by the Eternal Father. Thy words and precious works must necessarily draw toward thee many hearts. But, O my sweetest love, I desire that all the mortals be attracted and that all of them correspond to thy solicitude and exceeding great charity. Behold me, thy slave, O Lord, with a heart prepared to fulfill all thy wishes and to offer her life, if necessary, in order that all creatures may submit to the longings of thy most ardent love which so completely devotes itself to drawing them to the grace and friendship. To this offering, the Mother of Mercy was urged by her ardent desire to see the teaching and labors of our Redeemer and Master bring forth their proper fruit. As the most prudent lady fully estimated their value and dignity, she wished that they be lost for none of the souls nor the proper thanks for them should be wanting in men. In her charity, she wished to assist the Lord, or rather to assist her fellow men, who heard his words and witnessed his works in corresponding to these favors, and lose not their chances of salvation. She was consumed with the desire to render worthy thanks and praise to the Lord for his wonderful bounty toward souls, seeking to repay the debt of acknowledgment and gratitude, not only for those mercies that were efficacious, but for those which the guilt of men made inactive. In this thanksgiving, the thanks of our great lady were as hidden as they were admirable. For in all the works of Christ our Lord, she participated in a most exalted degree, not only in so far as she cooperated as the cause, but in as far as the effects are concerned. She so labored for each soul, as if she herself were the one to be benefited. Of this I will say more in the third part. 2.12 to this offering of the most loving mother, her most holy son answered, My dearest mother, already the time is come in which I must, conformably to the will of my eternal father, commence to prepare some hearts for the reception of my light and doctrine, and for giving them notice of the opportune and foreordained time of the salvation of men. In this work I wish thee to follow and assist me. Beseech thou my father to send his light into the hearts of the mortals, 
and awaken their souls that they may, with an upright intention, receive the message of the presence of their Savior and Teacher in the world. From that day on, his mother, according to his own desire, accompanied him in all his excursions from the town of Nazareth. 2.13 Our Lord began to make these excursions more frequently in the three years preceding his public preaching and baptism. In the company of our great queen, he made many journeys in the neighborhood of Nazareth into the province of Naphtali, as was prophesied by Isaiah, Isaiah 5.2 or other parts. In this conversation with men, he began to announce to them the coming of the Messiah, assuring them that he was already in the world and in the territory of Israel. He told them of it without intimating that he himself was the one they thus expected. For the first testimony of his being Son of God was given publicly by the Eternal Father, when the voice from heaven was heard at the Jordan, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17 Without especially announcing his true dignity, the only begotten spoke of it in general terms, as one who knows with certainty. Without performing any public miracles or using other outward demonstration, he secretly accompanied his teachings and testimonies by interior inspirations and helps, which he conferred on the hearts of those of whom he conversed and treated. Thus disposing their souls by faith, he prepared them to receive him afterwards, so much the more readily in person. 2.14 he made acquaintance with such as, by his divine wisdom, he knew to be prepared and capable, or rather less unsuited, to accept the seed of truth. To the more ignorant, he spoke of the signs of the coming of the Redeemer known to all, such as the coming of the three kings and the slaughter of the innocents and of similar events. With the more enlightened, he adduced the testimonies of the prophets already fulfilled, and he explained to them these truths with the power and force of a divine teacher. He proved to them that the Messiah had already come to Israel, and he pointed out to them that the kingdom of God and the way to reach it. As he exhibited in his outward appearance so much beauty, grace, peace, sweetness, gentleness of manner and of speech, and as all his discourse, though veiled, was nevertheless so vivid and strong, and as he added thereto also his interior help of grace, the fruit of this wonderful mode of teaching was very great. Many souls forsook the path of sin. Others began a virtuous life. All of them were instructed and made capable of understanding the great mysteries, and especially of believing that the Messiah had already begun his reign. 2.15 To these works of mercy the divine teacher added many others. For he consoled the sorrowful, relieved the oppressed, visited the sick and grief-stricken, encouraged the disheartened, gave salutary counsel to the ignorant, assisted those in the agony of death, secretly gave health of body to many, helped those in great distress, and at the same time led them on the path of life and of true peace. All those that trustfully came to him or heard him with devout and upright mind were filled with light and with the powerful gifts of his divinity. It is not possible to enumerate or estimate the admirable works of the Redeemer during these three years of public preaching after his baptism. All was done in a mysterious manner, so that without manifesting himself as the author of salvation, he communicated it to a vast number of souls. In nearly all these wonderful operations, our great lady was present as a most faithful witness and co-worker. As all of them were manifest to her, she assisted and gave thanks for them in the name of the creatures and the mortals who were thus favored by divine bounty. 
She composed hymns of praise to the Almighty, prayed for the souls as one knowing all their interior necessities, and by her prayers gained for them new blessings and favors. She herself also undertook to exhort and counsel them, drawing them to the sweet teachings of her Son, and giving them intimation of the coming of the Messiah. Yet she practiced these works of mercy more among women, imitating among them the works of mercy, which her Most Holy Son performed for men. This concludes our reading today for day number 203. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 5, Chapter 19, Paragraphs 209 to 215. In football, there's a preseason, and before the preseason, there's a training camp. And it seems that before the public ministry of Jesus, as it begins with his baptism, there's a preseason. And his training camp was his life with the Holy Family, but now here he is going out and already sharing and talking and visiting and doing the things that one would expect the Son of God to do. And he's doing this all in anticipation of the ministry that he is going to begin. We hear that for two or three days at a time, he might not be at home, that he absents himself. And so then he returns home to his mother. And you can only imagine that in those two and three days that he was away, that he shares with his mother about what has happened, that he shares the events that took place, much like any son or daughter would share about something that they've done when they come back and they visit their family. We also hear about really the dedication of Our Lady. She labored for each soul as if she herself were the one to be benefited. What benefits Our Lady as she labors for souls is that those souls will know her son, is that those souls will have eternal life, that she will be able to spend all of heaven with those souls for whom she labored, for whom she prayed. And then if we translate that to ordinary life, to husband and wife, mother and father, it's the responsibility of husband and wife to labor for the salvation of the soul of their spouse. It's the responsibility of the family to accompany each other to eternal life, to help each other to follow the commands and ways of Almighty God. In everything that Jesus did, Maria of Agreda tells us that Our Lady was present as a most faithful witness and co-worker. She's closely connected to the work of Jesus. Mother and son are nearly inseparable. We can continue to think about our reading that we've heard today and to think about this forthcoming public life of Jesus. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.